Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Will with ScheduleFly here, and I'm excited today to do our second in-person podcast. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I'm sitting here with Sean Lilly Wilson. Hello. Who is uh, the uh, founder, owner, and chief executive optimist of Full Steam Brewery, which is a badass place that I just toured around, had some of their beer, and uh, tastes good, feeling good, and uh, <laughs> thanks for... Thanks for taking the time to do this, man. It's an honor to speak with you. Yeah, thanks for coming to Durham. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, so give us the, um, tell us the story about Folsteam. How did this all come together in the first place? You bet. We're about an eight-year-old brewery. We call ourselves a Plow to Pint Brewery. So our mission and our passion is celebrating the North Carolina farm and food traditions. We work a lot with North Carolina farmers, foragers, agricultural entrepreneurs, and our whole vision is to create economic opportunities for uh, those mar- for those individuals, you know, for farmers, for foragers, for, for uh, agricultural uh, value-added processors in a post-tobacco North Carolina. I mean, tobacco is just not a thing anymore. Um, and if we can put the field to work for beer, then we're creating good economic opportunity for, uh, for those audiences. Southern beer economy, as you call it? That's what we call it, yeah, the southern beer economy. Yeah. So we've been doing it since 2010. Started off with a southern basil beer, a farmhouse ale made with North Carolina wheat um, and North Carolina basil. We were one of Riverbend Malthouse's first customers when they were starting out. And um, since then, we tally it up every week, and we're... Um, under a half a million dollars of uh, purchasing North Carolina agriculture. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, wh- why? Why did you get started though? Initially, what, I mean, what you know, you've been doing. You actually, it was kind of funny. We were sitting here talking, and you and I actually literally worked for uh, the same company years prior to this. Um, yeah. So in a very different industry, in a very different space, and so we here we are. Um, uh, but what caused this? What led to this? Well, I always considered myself an entrepreneur in waiting. And um, I didn't really have the courage, or it took me a long time to get the courage to jump out and do my own thing. And um, there were a couple of factors that led to that. As, as you and I discussed, I, I started consulting and doing my, um, forming my own LLC, a consulting business. And so I got health insurance and I kind of figured out the things that kept me um, afraid of starting my own business. And once I solved these little components, I realized that I could do this. I could start up a, a, a business. And of course, the craft beer, there's a whole story there about how I got involved in that and how I, that, that was my passion. But from a starting a business standpoint, I kind of evolved into this um, or I matured my thinking to be able to um, give myself the confidence to, to start my own business. Well, tell me about the, I mean, craft beer, because there's a lot of folks that are out there, they brew craft beer, and then there's that, and then there's running a business that's been around for almost a decade now that's doing 9,000 barrels a year. Um, that's, you know, these are, that's a big transition. So what, what led to, I mean, what about brewing craft beer made you think about starting the business? And then did you, did you have a long-term plan that you wanted to get to a certain point, or did you just kind of take it one year at a time and see what happened? Yeah, that's dense. Um, Let's see how to unpack that. I have a non-traditional way of getting into the beer industry. Um, I'm not a brewer. I'm not a technician. In fact, that was one of the other things that kept me from starting my own business. I uh, falsely thought that because I'm not an engineer, because I'm not um, an inventor, I'm, I'm not a technician, that I couldn't start my own business. And I think you and I 
in different ways have a, our own experiences in realizing that that's that's a fallacy that yeah. like you can start something um you can be an entrepreneur and not be an engineer right and so um my entryway into the craft beer world was working on the legislative effort to raise the alcohol cap on beer in North Carolina in the early to mid aughts. So North Carolina from 1935 to 2005 had a 6% alcohol cap on beer. About a third of the world's beer styles were illegal to brew and sell in the state. And it was just a dumb law. And I was starting to get really into craft beer. And I thought, what could I maybe do to help um, change this? And there were a lot of other people asking that same question. And uh, we were fortunate enough to kind of rally together and, and create a group called Pop the Cap. And uh, I served as president of that uh, nonprofit, volunteer, didn't pay myself, didn't think I was going to start up a brewery. But I realized in that time frame that I really loved the industry. Um, I was really into craft beer. I saw an opportunity in North Carolina. And I was um, ready to take that chance. I had the idea, um, even though I'm not a brewer by by trade or um, training. And, um, and so again, without expecting to start up a brewery, um, post pop the cap, I was like sniffing around and, and figuring out where I could find some opportunity. And it was actually five years to the day of the changing of the law. So August 13th, 2010, five years after the law change is when we opened the doors here. Gotcha. Gotcha. No. Okay. So as you were getting started, you were working on a business plan, um, what did you raise a bunch of capital for this or yes. okay you did mm-hmm. so you had early, you had investors yeah um tell me about that tell me about the process of finding people to uh invest in your business and what you learned from that well um hmm man that's like a whole podcast right there it is but it's a fascinating <laughs> thing and the reason i asked that question is because um that's that's something that you know you got to get right a lot of times you know there's people that may invest in the business but they may not be the right investors and you need the right people that are behind you and have the same vision for the both the short term and the long term and, and uh kind of everybody have you know aligning their goals so i'm just curious you know how that process went for you and what you learned i mean did you have folks that didn't work out or that you didn't think would be right on your team or was that something you were thinking about or was it more like i need to find somebody that's got some cash and, and we need to make it happen so we I went through the requisite work, the the groundwork that you have to do is starting and forming for us an LLC and um, articles of incorporation and, and um, a business plan. I didn't spend a ton of, well, I spent a lot of time on the business plan, but I didn't make it a 200 page, um, you know, e- epic tome. Yeah, um, yeah. It was just tight and focused and only one person... <clears throat> Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Only one person said, uh, this, this thing is too short. Most people were, were happy Most with people you probably appreciate brevity. I would think, I mean, conciseness and brevity yeah, is, yeah. is, uh, I, I think one of the things that Shows I clarity of thought and focus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and so, uh, so it was tight and focused and, um, but done. And, mm-hmm. and, and then of course a lot of supporting pro forma financials, like just going through the numbers and, making the case from a, from a modeling out standpoint. So that was, that was in place. And then there's like these moments where you have like, uh, a make or break. And, and I, I always will think about, um, chatting with a friend of mine and she was asking questions kind of like your questions. Like, uh, so, you know, how are you doing it? Like, where are you at? Like, how did it, you know, that whole thing. And, 
And, and she kept on pressing and asking questions and she's like, how much are you looking for? And then she excused herself and came back with a check for $50,000, the very first investor. Wow. And I was just like, holy shit, this is actually <laughs> happening. This is the, this is going to happen. And so it's this weird mix of having confidence that you know you're onto something and doing the hard work, but still these magical moments or even unexpected moments where you're like, whoa, whoa, this is real, you know? And, and once that happened, then it was off to the races. Now I will say, um, we have about 20 or so investors. I did reach this come to Jesus moment where I was like, wow, I need a lot more money than I thought I did. And so I had to get a big cash infusion at an equity chunk, uh, from a strategic investor, somebody I'm very happy to have on the team. But, um, you know, the lesson there is the thing that everybody always hears about is raise more money than you think you need. What, what, ha- what was that come to? I mean, when did you realize that you had a come to Jesus moment that you needed a lot more than you thought after you had done a, you know, really well thought out business plan? What, what changed the, just the sheer expense of, of launching a place. Yeah. Um, especially in 2010, you, you, you make, um, there's just, few, there were fewer experts in, uh, on the contracting side and on the build out side. So we just okay. made more mistakes and there was, um, just bumbling and, 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 and messing up and then under underestimating the co- the sheer costs. So it was to pay a contractor basically for all yeah. the, all the work. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I remember pacing around in that space that we just toured there just, uh, frantically and, uh, nervously just, uh, having to make that deal. And, um, I'm glad I did. It gave us the cushion necessary to, to launch. And then um, toward the tail end, you asked a question, you know, as it worked out, we've had a couple of investors um, that um, haven't been the easiest, um, but for the most part of a 20 or so investor group, everybody's been great. And um, they entrust me with a lot of the strategic long-term vision of the company. And, um, and so, yeah, when you have 20, pe- 20 plus investing into a, a, a business, um, there's going to be some um, subject matter experts and some people you really rely on on one end and on the other end, um, some, some people that are maybe more challenging. Uh, and so uh, both of those have sharpened, uh, for different reasons, sharpened our focus. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So you got going in 2010 and here we are in 2018. How many um, oh man, it's 2018. Yeah. Oh crap! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Uh, and, and with that brings, I mean, there's a there's a lot of breweries now. How, how many were there? I mean, you may not know this. I don't know, but probably from your planning in North Carolina at the time, and how many are there now? Oh I, man, I mean, that, that growth has been kind of exponential. It seems like it has been. Um, I don't know the exact number. In 2010, I would say 100 ish, and now, or maybe even less than that. Maybe like. 70 ish, uh, maybe even less than that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and obviously now it's, it's three to 400. Yeah. In that range. So, um, strong growth in the industry and, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all the, all it's done is made North Carolina a, um, as, as, uh, as we say the, the state for the, the state of Southern beer, you know, state of Southern beer. Yeah. 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 It's our little tagline at the, uh, at the craft brewers guild, North Carolina craft brewers guild. Well, I mean, is it, is it, um, 
I mean, I hear this a lot in your industry. Like the the competition is is good. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you, but it's also there's a lot of support for each other. Absolutely, in your space. So yeah, tell me a little bit about that. It's a very collaborative industry. That's one of the things that appealed to me when I was looking at getting into this space. I just felt like there were a lot of people looking out for each other and supporting one another. Um, to this day, we will trade bags of grain or um, share ideas or try to help each other out if um, there's an active thread on, on Facebook and the guild does a lot of this kind of work. Um, so it's it's um, competitive, but it's not cutthroat. And, Why um, do you think that is? Well, I think fundamentally uh, the industry knows that uh, there's a lot of room to grow yeah. and that we're stronger by um, differentiating ourselves um, and being kind to each other. I think it just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I think it yeah. fundamentally, we just, we like beer and we're in it because of good beer and we see the growth, even though there's been road bumps and closures and challenges and all of that. Um, as Sam Calagione of, uh, dogfish head said years ago, the industry's 99% asshole free. And, um, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Yeah, okay. There yeah. you go. I think that's right. And yeah. I think if you just start with that and, yeah. and, 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 uh, and you know, maybe, maybe we've gone from three standard deviations to two standard deviations as it's grown, you know, but it's still, uh, it, it, it attracts, um, people who are excited about, about beer first and foremost. And the other things that we get passionate about, like, uh, fostering community or um, supporting farmers and, and these kind of um, more altruistic or big tent or empathetic kind of um, notions and mindsets and visions that, that go beyond just pure head-on, no-holds-barred capitalism. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Very inspiring. I love the industry. Um, uh, do you... Um, okay, so you learned that you could start a business, you learned that you had, you know, you were an entrepreneur in waiting, as you said. Um, what have you learned about yourself now that you're almost a decade in here as somebody who is managing and running a business? Because starting a business and getting it going and the passion and the enthusiasm and the grit and drive it takes, that's a skill set uh, that's required to, to get through the first couple of years or whatever. But then you get to a point where here you are, 10 years in, you're adding about a thousand barrels a year in this business. You're busting at the seams here. You've got, you know, important long-term decisions to make. What have you learned about yourself as a manager, uh, over the years? Yeah. Two things come to mind. Uh, one is that I'm a lot more, um, conservative than maybe I thought I would be. Um, where, you know, I still have my house on the line. Like I still pay myself very modestly and, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to make smart decisions that grow the business, but don't put it at too much risk. And you're starting to see some fraying in that with um, breweries in particular that are over leveraged or made some poor assumptions, grew the wrong way. And, um, and we're, we're very thoughtful and very deliberate. And I think that's an asset, but there's some times where I'm like, ooh, you know, I, I, we probably need to step on the gas a little bit more. So that's just something personally that I realize about myself that, that I tend to be um, a little bit more conservative than I thought I would be. Do you think that uh, needing to step on the gas or feeling that at times feeling that is that pressure you're 
putting on yourself or do you feel that because you have investors that want a good return or like, or do it's you- not investors. Our investors are very um, passive and see the long term, yeah. the, the, the long term vision. So it's not that at all. I really think it's the employees. Um, okay. Our staff want to know that this business is going somewhere. Yeah. Um, they know that we're inefficient right now. It's hard work. It's repetitive work because of the system that we're on. And I think um, our staff um, deserves better and, um, and an upgrade. And doing that the right way uh, so that I can give back more to them in pay and benefits and working conditions, um, that's the first thing that I think about. And, um, uh, but I don't want to do it to where I get stuck. You know, and so it's that, it's that dilemma, you know, and, um, and we're figuring it out and we've got some good opportunities ahead of us. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just, we're, we're a, um, we're a methodical, um, but we need to get beyond that and, and, uh, but not put ourselves and our, certainly our, our, our employees at, at risk, um, to answer a couple of other ways and expand on that on yeah. the uh, what have I learned if I may um, I values have been very critical to um, who we are and defining uh, why we exist and the type of people that we're looking to attract uh, both employees and, and even our customers so um, you know we, we've established our, our core values and we hire and train and and sometimes if necessary, let people go based on core values. And we try to permeate those throughout um, our actions uh, in our uh, uh, daily interactions with customers. And that includes like businesses and wholesalers, as well as the, um, the end customer, obviously the guest coming through the doors here. Um, and so that's been a big, a big kind of learning is just, just the importance of values. Um, and then lastly, I'll just quickly throw in that um, I've realized that I'm not great at, managing people directly like i'm not the like it's just not a strength of mine um and i think that's okay you have to say like okay where am i not so strong because i'm i'm a bit of a lone wolf i kind of like having a vision and going out and doing things and i and i i'm not as patient and and great at mentoring and shaping and training and building people up and i i dislike that about myself but i also recognize it right and so in a growing business, what you need to do is understand that you're not going to be great at all things. Um, let that go and improve where you can, but bring on people who have those skill sets that can do that better than you'll ever be able to do. Yeah. Fill in, fill in those gaps and be, you have to be self-aware. I mean, you, you say you dislike that about yourself, but I mean, that that's, that you're aware of that is a good thing. And that's a strength that you know that so that mm-hmm. you can find folks that or able to fill that in while you're able to focus on what you're good at and what you enjoy. Um, so what, tell me about your people. I mean, how many, how many folks do you have here and what kind of folks, um, do you bring onto your team? Um, we are at about, uh, 50 or so full time, uh, or sorry, full time and part time. Um, and, uh, split between the two. And, uh, we, let's see. Um, I, it, we have a wide range of people because there's a wide range of, of needs, you know, from the technical to the creative. Um, but I think one thing that I would like to think brings us together or unifying quality is that, um, that they're naturally curious people and, um, and, and kind and 
generous. Um, I mean, that's the things that we look out for and uh, even in the interview process. So as an example, um, one question that I'll always ask is um, in the process, uh, in the interview process is, um, uh, and, and I'm kind of giving a little bit of a trade secret here, but um, I ask what a persimmon is, right? And um, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you what a persimmon is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a lot of reasons that I ask that question in the interview process. Um, one, I want them to have done a little bit of research uh-huh. on on our brewery because we've made a persimmon beer for the past eight years. It's one of our more notable beers this time of year. Um, but also, too, do they know anything about like southern food traditions? Um, yeah. Are they naturally curious? Do they wander the outdoors you know and yeah. and if you don't know or if a person doesn't know that it doesn't disqualify them from the job the only thing that will disqualify them from a job is if they lie or they make up some story about what it is right. if they're trying to like come up with some answer because yeah, yeah, they yeah. think i want an answer then they're not the right fit if they've been to your website or they've seen your instagram feed they've they should know what they should <laughs> yeah that point, he- and a lot of times if they don't then it means that we just need to do a better job of telling our story Right. Um, so I can't always fault them, but, uh, you know, but that's a good tell for, for me. Talk about telling your story. Talk about the story of, uh, you know, why, and why that's important. Cause I think you do a good job of it. I think you do a really good job. I know you say that there's things you want to continue to do and do better, but I mean, I, I feel like the way you present your story on your website, and as I come in here, uh, it's very clear to me that you've put a lot of thought and care into that. Oh, thanks. I think that, um, a business that has a story, uh, and understands what their story is and why it's important is much more relatable and it's why people want to be here. But I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people, I don't know a lot, but you have to recognize that some people will come into this place and never know the our story. They're yeah. here for a beer and right. that needs to be fine and good and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and food. And, um, and so we just need to meet people where they're at. And um, if they're all they're interested in is getting some IPA because they're um, in the area and they just like IPA and they want that or a, a simple you know pilsner or something like that, then that's great. You know, that's fine. That's why we make an IPA. Um, and uh, even though on our mission for local the local economy, there's only so much that we can do right now using local ingredients in say an IPA because we want to hit a right price point. And, um, and, and we don't double down yet on local for that beer, but we also, I'm not saying it the right way, but, uh, we, we, uh, we, we want to meet people where they're at. And, and so our job is to serve the customer. And, um, if they want to delve more into the story of who we are and why we exist, then we have those opportunities, certainly online. And then we want to do more in our, in our physical space here. But, um, for us, beer is a pathway toward um, Southern progressive kind of community pride and, and reflecting the spirit of Durham, as well as um, empowering farms in this post-tobacco North Carolina, right? So beer is a pathway for that. Food is a pathway for that. It's a, it's a byproduct of our, of our vision. And, um, and so story uh, for us is, is telling, um, as an example, the story of Brumley Forest. Uh, we make this Baltic Porter. It's a good food award-winning beer. Um, made with foraged black walnuts and sassafras and hickory nuts. But we get those ingredients from Brumley Forest, which is a Triangle Land Conservancy public land. It's 600 acres, open to the public for wandering. It's relatively new, so a lot of people don't know about it. 
Um, but uh, we're taking ingredients from that forest, making a tasty beer, and then a dollar per um, you know a four pack of of that beer goes back to Triangle Land Conservancy to support their mission, right? And so if we can tell the story of um, the value of public land and um, and black walnuts and what they are and all these kind of heady things, if we can do all that through beer, then I feel like we're doing our job. But some people might just come in and taste that beer and, and hopefully like it, and that's enough for them. And that's that's fine too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's the folks that are here for that. There's a lot of folks that are probably your repeat customers that value not just the the product, the food, the beer, what you're doing and why you're trying to do it. I mean, you know, um, the way you talk about the Southern beer economy is, uh, to me is inspiring and it's memorable and it's, it gives this business a layer of meaning that you may, you may not find sometimes in other places Thanks. or that other places may not be as good at articulating it. I'm just, I'm big on, I really think there's a, there's a lot of value in, not just understanding why you're doing what you're doing, but but making that story clear to your customers and your your you know people that uh, are coming in your doors, or in our case, coming to our website or whatever the case may be. For sure. Uh, so I, I admire. When yeah. I see well, somebody thank that's you. Doing a good uh, job with it. Simon Sinek's uh, the you know the why the 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 golden circle, right? I don't know if you know that. The I know who he is, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So he just has that simple uh, circle up in a circle in a circle, and it's uh, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And, 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 you know, it's not just because of that, um, that we, we, I mean, we came into this because, uh, I've been in the food and beverage industry in, uh, North Carolina since I first moved here in the early nineties, working for a restaurant called Magnolia Grill. Um, and, uh, Ben Barker and Karen Barker, uh, taught me a lot about Southern ingredients and a, a member of the Southern Foodways Alliance, uh, and, um, uh, it's a big part of, of what I'm personally passionate about. Again, we just express that, um, through beer. Um, the other thing, if I can quickly add, um, yeah. all these things are kind of heady and, um, and, uh, um, thoughtful. Um, but we also want to make this place fun. Yeah. And so we, uh, we do a lot of, uh, sort of silly and off kilter things. Um, a little like unknown, uh, unknown, I think in, 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 out your way. And, and Charlotte takes that, takes it to the next level. I was just looking at their strange brew, uh, uh event that they had this past weekend. And that was a whole nother level, but yeah. we call it beautiful, stupid, that the best things in life are equal parts, beautiful and stupid. Okay. I like um, it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. So, so, so we have, um, we do things like, uh, the 0.262 marathon, which is a one, one hundredth of a marathon. It's a couple of blocks. It's as much as I want to run. And so we, um, we, yeah. nice. we make a beer uh, it's a sports drink goza called the 0.262 um and uh up uh, in a month or so we'll have the a very merry durham which is our uh a christmas variety show it's just um it's it's a little dumb and silly and fun and uh the whole idea when you walk into this place is that there's a spirit of joy and yeah. um a lack of pretension Sure. Sure. And that comes along with, I mean, that comes along with breweries. It comes along with beer culture and, uh, gosh, we need, you know, these days we need more and more of that. Yeah. Silly, fun, uh, crazy, unique, different, just relaxed and enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, our, our goal is for you to walk into the store and feel it's all welcome without needing a sign that says all welcome. Right. It just should be, should feel that way. Yeah. 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 You don't need to advertise it. It just needs to 
be mm-hmm. self-evident. Which is comes back to one of our core values, which is quiet confidence. What, um, are, what are your core values? You mentioned that earlier and folks that you want, you know, to have on your team that maybe sometimes when they don't represent those core values, they may not, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So we have five and I kind of think of it as in terms of a, almost a mnemonic, uh, as in, you know, I'll, I'll kind of reference my, you know, you'll, you'll see. So it's think like an optimist, seek truth and beauty, listen with empathy, speak with quiet confidence and be present, productive and fun. Got it. Got right. it. And the whole thing that I've learned about core values is if your staff isn't tired, sick and tired of you talking about core values, then you're not doing it enough. Yeah. So I use, why is that? Cause you just need to repeat it time and time and time it again. It needs to sink in. You need to, yeah. 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 And that, it, uh, because otherwise it just seems like a mindless, uh, just HR something exercise. that's up on the wall. It's the equivalent of posters. Yeah, yeah. It's right. equivalent of like uh, motivational posters. Yeah. Right. But we, when I saw that our staff on their own, we're referring to our core values in making decisions. Hmm. Um, then I was like, cool, it's working. It's, it's, it's sinking it's in. It's sinking in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have a lot of happy folks back there. We walked around and all these you know, folks are back there having fun and smiling, but they're also working hard. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, by the way, what is, what is this one that I'm at? That I That's the nine volt. That's the not why you nine. coughed and said, excuse me though. Is no, it? no, but I need it now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Just for the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just canned that today. That's a uh, kettle sour IPA. Okay. Um, the whole idea with nine volt is like, it's got a little bit of that, like putting your tongue on a nine volt battery, right? Oh uh, yeah. Like a yeah. little ring, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is a, is a coffee enthusiast. I, I got to tell you, man, this is this is freaking good. I'm You're normally getting, like the simple, but I, I'm going to have to get some of this. this, this excellent. What is this one called? Again? That's coffee is for closers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. I should remember that. That's the, Alec Baldwin <laughs> one. Yeah. um, and, uh, and that you got out of the tank. Um, it hasn't yet been carbonated. So that's a sneak peek right there. And, um, it comes out uh, next week. How, like, okay. So how, how many different beers do you, do you have and how often do you introduce a, a new one? Yeah. At any given time, we'll have about 20 beers on, uh, on tap, maybe 16 to 20. And, uh, generally we're doing a new beer every week at this point. Every week. Mm-hmm. How do you come up with the flavor profiles? I mean, what's that's chase whom you met our yeah. head brewers, um, role and responsibility. That's and a big um, responsibility. That's a lot of new flavors. Yeah. And then of course, like our team will, will bring ideas, uh, to fruition. So there's a, there's a mix. Um, but, uh, we look a lot at seasonality and local ingredients. And what's fun is that we'll have farmers and even foragers come in and they'll say, Hey, I've, I've got these, you know, hearty oranges oh, or yeah. I've got these things, you know, can you work with them? And we're in the habit of saying yes, you know? And so we, um, we will often make small batches from, uh, local harvests, um, and, and give it a shot. So generally what we do is we try small batch and then we look to try to see if it has an opportunity to, um, to grow into something bigger and some beers like a nine volt will just stay quick release and just be a little one-time thing. But a beer like coffee is for closers has grown and we're considering, you know, should that be a year round beer, like an iced coffee porter, but we're at that point. Is it better to keep it seasonal, um, Mm. or meet the demand that may be out there for year round for year round? Yeah. How many, how many different do you can all of them or how many are canned? Well, we have um, three core cans, and that's Paycheck, the Pilsner, Humidity, our Pale Ale, and Rocket Science, our IPA. And then we'll do a seasonal can um, in addition to that, um, and that'll rotate through. So we're going from coffee, uh, sorry, from Carver, our sweet potato lager, to coffee is for closers for the for the winter. 
And then we'll do labels on cans for a bunch of other stuff, just quick runs of like 40 cases. The market is definitely in a variety mode. And um, there's a lot of, I've had that before, so I don't need to try that again, which is hard. It's challenging, Um, especially Mm. for a beer like First Frost, uh, uh, one of our Good Food Award winning beers, um, a beer that we're really passionate about. Um, There's an a, a good number of people who are like, yeah, it's delicious. I love that beer. Um, I've had it and they're looking for something Some else. Yeah. And so, um, that can be challenging for us when you look to manage inventory and, and pay foragers and to kind of know what to expect. And, um, a big change for us this year is taking that from 22 ounce bombers, the glass bottles to, um, to cans. Um, and so I didn't think that a higher end beer um, in the farm's edge series that we do, um, would be in cans, but so far the reaction has been very positive. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So you're, we were talking a little bit earlier, you're, you're using a lot of your space. Um, and first of all, do you, you lease this space? We do. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, was that, (laughs) no, it's fine. It's good. It's a, we weren't, you know, I think I've probably in this in this episode here talked enough about the risk and the those moments of like, oh, crap, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, those come to Jesus moments that I did not need the layer of owning a building on top of that as a first time entrepreneur. But yeah, yeah. sorry. I, I no, I mean, direction. I mean, so well, I mean, are you, do you do you you guys will be here a certain amount of time, but you think eventually you'll you'll move along and. Well, we won't leave this space. Um, just, I, I can't imagine uh, leaving um, this space, this area of Durham. I mean, this is uh, uh, an area that that we, along with a couple of other uh, formative businesses in this neighborhood, kind of helped revitalize and kind of kick off a whole kind of entertainment district and, and a, a, a fun place to hang out, just this warehouse area. And so um, we're not going anywhere from here, but we are looking at how to increase our capacity and do it the smart way in another location. Cause gotcha. we're just, we're after eight years, we're just out of space here. What, tell me about um, when you're negotiating a lease. I think I, I see a lot of people get that, you know, can get that wrong. Um, any advice you have for folks that are looking at a long-term lease and things that you need to make sure you consider because you get places that eventually, you know, the, in fact, there was one in Raleigh. I just, uh, it's a customer of ours. Their, their lease wasn't renewed. Uh, they're mm. having to move locations. Um, I don't know. It's like a, uh, everything's so radically different. I would just say be cautious of uh, innocuous things like uh, escalating rent, um, yeah. which has a compounding effect and yes. just gets more and more expensive. Um, and things like, you know, percent rent or, or concessions, uh, you know, where you're giving up top line revenue uh, to, uh, to a landlord. Um, but other than that, it's just, there's every situation is different. Yeah. And, all, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would love to be in a position where we could purchase. Um, but the dilemma for us is that our model is, um, to do manufacturing in an urban area where there's a good number of people that come to the space and, um, finding those buildings that can both fit a forklift and where people show up on a Tuesday, that's 
kind of challenging and, and those spaces are expensive in a very good economy right now. Tell me about this part of town. So you kind of, you kind of spearheaded helping to revitalize this. What was, what was your prior and, and uh, what's happened since you've been here? This is like an infrastructure area for what used to be the tobacco district. So this was a lot of like um, automobile repair and truck repair and um, warehousing for the tobacco industry. Okay. And um, and now it's a mix of still auto repair and um, bars and restaurants, and um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a funny uh, government services. It's a funny mix. Um, we just call it the warehouse district. Every effort to try to give it a name feels too forced. Okay. So um, yeah. it just is central park or the warehouse district or the rigsby district or full steam motor co um you but know more and more businesses are, are opening here i mean i see places like i don't know the coffee shop you sent yeah. me to what was that coco cinnamon yeah, yeah that was uh abandoned for a long long yeah. time and um we have a, a a durham resident and um thoughtful developer who's um restored and um saved a lot of these buildings uh, for creative adaptive reuse. Yes. Yeah. I mean, great the way they're repurposed. I mean, they have a lot of character your building does. The, now what, and what's next? Is it the pit next the pit door? The pit is next yeah. door. Yeah. 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 Barbecue mm-hmm. joint. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good deal. Good yep. deal. And this building was a seven up, uh, RC Cola, uh, bottling plant. And so for those, uh, you know, of you coming in to full steam, um, if you come in the red door, uh, that used to be a, uh, drive in, uh, loading area for trucks that would pick up product. And uh, they would leave out the back. So this is just one big open space. And we've kind of parsed it out to, to serve our needs. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're really proud of the work that we've done to help um, revitalize this area. But it still feels distinctly Durham. And so, like, behind us is a, a housing development for um, adults with developmental disabilities, some of whom who are living um, either by themselves or with adult caretakers. And they're just great. They're they come in here and have parties and hang out and um it's it's all part of the neighborhood so it's it's nice because it's um this area has grown and developed um but uh we still see the the elements of durham that we that we love that um uh that that keep it a little gritty and and um and unique and and creative and um it's it's not just a bunch of teardown projects and condos everywhere although there are and you know obviously some of the that happening too What's the most thing, fun thing about what you do, Sean? Most fun thing that I do. Um, or I, mm. What do you love most about what you do? Let me rephrase it. No, I mean, that's, that's, it's, yeah, that's just a, another shake on the same question. Um, I think for me it's, um, so I'm, I'm kind of like a, a, a hybrid, like I'm an, like an introverted extrovert, you know? Um, and so, uh, I don't, I don't need to be the center of attention. Like I'm not like one of those people. It's like the life of the party, Yeah. but I love facilitating okay. the life of the, like yeah. a, 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 a joyful party right, right now. Yeah. You do yeah. it every day here. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think my favorite thing is to just be in the background, just kind of watching and, you know, half working or kind of just looking at the crowd here and seeing like, um, you know, birthday celebrations, hearing, uh, people sing happy birthday or, uh, the surprise wedding that'll happen or just these, these moments. And they, they're not like these, um, 
these moments that you plan, you think they're going to be like, well, this is going to be a lifetime of memory. You yeah. know, they're just the serendipitous, just like they hit you in this kind of like, wow, this is a, a place of good, you know, and no one really knows who I am and I can just watch and kind of experience this and vicariously, um, enjoy in the experience. And, um, and that's like the thing that makes my heart skip. Yep. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is, okay, so you're about almost 10 years in, where do you want to be 10 years from now? Well, we've said from the get go that we want to be a landmark brewery for the South, that we want to explore what it means to make distinctly Southern beer. We want to pioneer the Southern beer economy. And I think we've accomplished a lot of that. When we first started, we made this beer, um, then called summer basil, now called Southern basil. Um, it was the first beer we ever brewed and it was super weird for people. This idea of taking uh, local grain and local basil and that it would be slightly different every time because basil evolves throughout the season. So you would taste it. It wouldn't taste quite. That was a really weird concept. Right. Um, But now most breweries are doing something local and using local ingredients. And and that's great. I mean, we want to pioneer that. We don't want to we, we, we don't want to be a Southern beer business. We want to pioneer Southern beer economy. And to do the economy, we need other breweries to um, join us in this vision and support River Bend Malt House and Carolina Malt and Epiphany Craft Malt and um, local farmers, sweet potato growers and all of that. Um, and, and so I feel like we've done um, that portion of it. And so in 10 years, we have to say, uh, you know, as we look 10 years ahead um, in this quest to be a landmark brew for the South, what does that mean and what does that look like? Um, we're still figuring it out. It would be easier to, to come and say, well, we're going to be this number of barrels and we're going to be in these locations and this is the way it is. But as you know, the industry is so dynamic and ever changing yeah. that um, you have to respond to the fact that there's now, you know, three for maybe even since the time we started talking 500 breweries that have started up, um, in North Carolina. And, uh, and, and so we try not to measure it in terms of, um, our own barrels. Um, this is a long and complicated way of, uh, it's already a long answer or non-answer. I don't know. But, um, if our mission is the Southern beer economy, in a changing market, we're probably better served by having multiple locations where we're able to um, buy more from local farmers because we can absorb that cost of goods on our in our tavern yeah. um, because um, we're capturing that margin. We're able to buy more local um, like Wooden Robot does in... in um, in in charlotte area yeah they buy a lot of local because they're selling a lot of beer on premise yeah um and they can they can work with um epiphany craft mall and and we can too but we also package that product and so the competitive price point that we have to be at you know to for people to pull that beer at the store shelf right now until we gain these economies of scale um it has to it has to be price competitive and so um this is probably the longest no, 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 non-answer no, just, I've ever given, but, no, I like <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I, I, I envision us not tracking our growth in 10 years from barrelage standpoint, but from an economic impact. So I want to every year be buying a yeah. million dollars of North Carolina local right. agriculture and however that translates into barrels. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, we'll see where 
the audience, where the, where the industry goes and where, what customers want. Um, but again, circling back to our passion is if we're at $450,000 in our eight years, but that's growing exponentially, not ex- it's growing consistently. We're increasing our percentage of local ingredient every year. Um, then man, success to me is every year we're, we're, we're purchasing a million dollars in North Carolina agriculture. Yeah. That, that to me is the 10 year plan. Yeah. And the number of barrels, that's the byproduct of all this. I really like yeah. the way you think you're not, that's, that's great, man. Uh, that's, um, a really just a powerful way to look at the business. And, um, I admire that. I admire that a lot because you're trying to do something bigger than just sell, you know, just produce more barrels every year and whatever it is. That's why I asked you earlier, you know, you went from under a thousand to nine thousand, you're doing about a thousand more a year, but that, that's not what you're that's not what your focus is. Clearly it's not Well, next year we're going to do 10,000 and then 11 or whatever, but now you have to do that work for planning purposes. You know, you've got to model all this out for investors, but that's not your primary focus. It's It's not not that, yeah, that's the, the the byproduct. And then you, you plan around that. But, Mm -hmm. um, dude, this has been awesome. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Every, uh, every time I hear, (laughs) every time I talk like this and I get to sit down and, and, and get challenging questions, it makes me think even more about the business, about our staff, uh, about our mission. So it just makes me sharper. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes it's hard to do that to yourself. In other words, like I may be driving up here today asking myself about things you know long term about schedule fly but until somebody else because just it's just different it's a different dynamic until somebody's actually kind of absolutely really pressing you on it so yeah uh, yeah it's good good so thank you yeah 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 for sure man for sure uh okay folks well thank you for listening uh sean thank you very much for doing this appreciate it man we're stoked to serve you um we love just just just, I, i feel very thankful to have the opportunity to do this and uh Appreciate you taking the time. You bet. I, I just say thank you for uh, making a great product. And the Southern beer economy isn't always just about uh, ingredients, but it's about businesses like yours that, um, you know, the more we can support local and help uh, North Carolina breweries and small businesses where um, it has that kind of uh, uh, exponential or spreading effect to to support um, businesses like yours. So um, awesome. cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cool. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good one.